This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. After a hundred days of doing absolutely nothing but holding bullshit hearings on bullshit issues in the Republican-led House of Representatives, Trump's snarling MAGA pitbull Jim Jordan is headed to New York City. Why? I don't know. To hold yet another completely bullshit hearing on, well, who the fuck knows? It's just more political posturing by Jordan, who is doing his absolute best to obstruct Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg's case against his lord and master, Donald J. Trump. But Bragg doesn't play Washington politics, so go ahead, Jim Jordan. I mean, fuck around and find out. Perhaps for the first time ever, the District Attorney of Manhattan tonight suing the Republican Chairman of the House Judiciary Committee to prevent Congressman Jim Jordan from interfering in New York City's investigation into former President Trump. Complicated. DA Alvin Bragg filed the lawsuit in federal court today, calling Jordan's subpoena of Bragg a brazen and unconstitutional attack. But to understand the whole picture, here we need to go back a bit. So two days after Trump was arraigned on 34 felony counts of falsifying business records in the state of New York, Jordan launched his attack on the rule of law and kicked his investigation into Alvin Bragg and the Manhattan District Attorney's Office into high gear and subpoenaed Mark Pomerantz to meet with the House Judiciary. Jordan says that his committee had legislative reasons to demand Pomerantz's testimony and that Congress has a specific and manifestly important interest in preventing politically motivated prosecutions of current and former presidents by elected state and local prosecutors. So translation, back off the former president or I'm gonna make your life a living hell. A lot in this 50-page document, this complaint from Alvin Bragg for the judge to chew on. The most interesting part of the case brought by Alvin Bragg today is what it tells us about the real motive behind Jim Jordan's investigation. Bragg's lawsuit suggests that the reason Chairman Jordan is doing all of this isn't just to undermine that Manhattan DA or test the bounds of the Constitution, but to get a good look at the evidence against Donald Trump in order to feed that evidence, that information, back to Donald Trump. Mark Pomerantz, you may recall, resigned from his position as special prosecutor at the district attorney's office when DA Bragg reportedly opted not to move forward with his initial prosecution of Trump. So Pomerantz quit and then went out and wrote a book. Pomerantz wrote that he believes Trump is guilty of numerous felony violations. I had a moral obligation to speak out because it's important uh, whether you like him or not, Donald Trump is one of the central public figures of our time. Uh, if he committed crimes and he has not been held accountable for those crimes, that's an important item of public business. It is hugely in the public interest to understand what happened. So Jim Jordan doesn't like that book. Well, too fucking bad. And now he wants to grill Pomerantz on the hill saying that his book described Trump as a malignant narcissist and frivolously compared Trump to mob boss John Gotti. I mean, in all fairness, sounds about right to me, but the butthurt Jordan goes on to tell Pomerantz, and I quote, the depth of your personal animosity towards Trump is apparent in your writing. 
I want to remind you that this is all real. I mean, you couldn't make this shit up. This isn't like it's on some television show like House of Cards. This is fucking real. Dean, call this punch and counterpunch. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg went to federal court today to stop the House Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan from forcing a former top prosecutor in his office from testifying before the committee. Anyway, last Tuesday, Bragg had just about enough of Jordan's stupidity and foolishness and went ahead and filed a lawsuit, accusing Jordan of waging a transparent campaign to intimidate and attack the DA's office in service of Donald Trump. Bragg's suit also sought to block Jordan's subpoena of Mark Pomerantz because it doesn't meet the constitutional criteria for a congressional subpoena. And Bragg's lawyers write, and I quote, This is a baseless pretext for hauling Mr. Pomerantz to Washington for a retaliatory political circus designed to undermine the rule of law and New York's police power. And then when we try to investigate, he says, no, 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 we're going to take you to court. And the guy we want to talk to hasn't worked for Alvin Bragg for a year. And he wrote a book on this very subject. That's why we want to talk to him. We actually kind of want to know, too, what was there any involvement with the Biden Justice Department, with the, with the White House and how this all worked out? So those are the questions we have. But this is I actually think Alvin Bragg is is obstructing our investigation, our constitutional duty to do oversight. The same day Bragg filed the lawsuit, a Trump appointed judge denied Bragg's request for a temporary restraining order blocking the Pomeranz subpoena and declined to take immediate action on the lawsuit. She scheduled an initial hearing for April 19th in Manhattan, just one day before Pomerantz is supposed to appear before the Judiciary Committee. Well, we'll talk more about Alvin Bragg's lawsuit with our guest, Harry Littman. But in the meantime, Jordan is going to drive his clown car here to New York City and show of his contempt for DA Bragg. House Republicans are continuing their attack on Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, this time taking the fight to Bragg's home turf in New York City. The House Judiciary Committee, led by GOP Representative Jim Jordan of Ohio, said it will be holding a hearing April 17th in New York City titled Victims of Violent Crime in Manhattan. Focusing on crime in the city and accusing Bragg of fostering a dangerous community for New York City residents. He's calling the show trial a field hearing at which he and the committee will attempt to ridicule Bragg's policies and talk about how New York is a cesspool of criminality. When, by the way, crime by every metric is down substantially in New York. But guess what? It's three times higher in the state of Ohio where he represents the, the county. So, like I said, fuck around and find out, Jim Jordan. But Alvin Bragg isn't afraid of the likes of you. And you know what else, my friend? You can expect that New Yorkers will give you the same sort of welcome that they gave Marjorie Taylor Greene when she came here. You filthy animal! You QAnon lunatic! Hit her with the space lasers! Blast her with the space lasers! Get the out of New York, you racist, sick, Speaking of Trump, anybody catch any of his interview with fucker Carlson? Mr. President, thank you for having us. Thank you. Last week you were in New York for this arraignment. The world watched it. You've not given an interview since. You were there, I think, 57 minutes. Tell us from your perspective what that was like. Well, it was a horrible thing because I did nothing wrong. 
I mean, I've heard it said that Trump steamrolled Carlson on his own show, but Carlson seems like he really enjoys watching his mentally ill interviewees spout whatever gibberish and bullshit that comes into their pea brains. I mean, Carlson's like a Dr. Frankenstein showing off his monsters. And case in point, his interview with Kanye. But Trump was even more unhinged and outlandish than Kanye. I mean, I guess you can say he went total fucking nuclear. You don't mention, I call it the N-word. You have two N-words, you don't mention either one of them. Okay, that's good to know, go on. <laughs> I'm talking about nuclear, 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 nuclear. I never mentioned the word nuclear, you never heard me mention the word. Yeah, except for the... <laughs> Except for 400 times in the last minute and a half. And remember the charges that Steve Bannon is currently facing in Manhattan for fraudulent fundraising to build the wall. I mean, these guys are so fucking apparent in what they do. They're just a whole series of grifters. Prosecutors say the 66-year-old, along with three others, raised more than $25 million in a crowdfunding campaign they said would go entirely to build sections of the southern border wall. Well, according to the Washington Post, Jack Smith and federal prosecutors looking into the sixth have in recent weeks sought a wide range of documents related to fundraising after the 2020 election, looking to determine if Trump or his advisors scammed donors by using false claims about voter fraud to raise money. Prosecutors are interested in whether anyone associated with Trump's fundraising operation violated wire fraud laws, which, and I quote, make it illegal to make false representations over email to swindle people out of money. Want to know how much he raised? $200 million. So this was when- Is that above the threshold or (laughs) is that cool? I guess we're gonna see how cool it is. Uh But the point here is, and we've covered this story, Trump was fundraising under the false pretenses of raising money to challenge the election results in the courts. Mm -hmm. He didn't do that, he didn't actually use that money for that. Well, last week, Trump desperately tried to get the courts to block the testimony of former aide and full-time hate monger Stephen Miller to Jack Smith's special grand jury. But Tuesday, Miller ended up testifying for at least six hours. Well, there goes that fucking idea, right, Donald? And I'm betting Smith wanted to know more about the speech that he and Trump amended just moments before the rally at the Ellipse. Ken Cuccinelli is said to have testified too, so Trump certainly can't be happy about any of this. So you mentioned the other cases. There's at least three other criminal cases. You have the two brought by the special prosecutor, the case in Georgia, you know, January 6th, classified documents, obstruction of justice. What, what do you think, uh, if you were advising uh, the former president, which obviously you're not, which, which would you be most concerned about? I'd be most concerned about the document case in Mar-a-Lago. And as we know, January 6th is just one of two cases that Jack Smith is prosecuting against Trump. The other is Mar-a-Lardo, of course, something I talk about on this show regularly. Bill Barr, Trump's bloviated crime-riddled attorney general, said on Sunday on ABC News that, and I quote, Trump had no claim to be classified documents. Quote again, that there was obstruction in keeping documents from the government, and I think that's a serious potential case. 
I think they probably have some very good evidence here. Well, yeah, Bill, pretty fucking right. And you know what? I'm pretty sure that you're right on this one as well. Now, for the last few weeks, gun violence has been on everybody's mind. I mean, it seems like just about every single day now, there's another mass shooting. But I'll be honest, caring for three shooting victims, plus the other that came in, is not an unfrequent day for us. And the events surrounding this made this obviously much more difficult. But to be honest with you, we barely had to adjust our operating room schedule to be able to do this. That's how frequent we are having to deal with gun violence in our community. Um, I'll tell you personally, I'm weary. I've been in Louisville for 15 years, all of it at University Hospital. For 15 years, I've cared for victims of violence and gunshot wounds. And people say I'm tired, but I'll be answered. It's more than tired. I'm weary. There's only so many times you can walk into a room and tell someone they're not coming home tomorrow. And it just breaks your heart. When you hear someone screaming, Mommy or Daddy, it just becomes too hard day in and day out to be able to do that. Now, my team is fantastic. They're, they're absolute professionals and they're wonderful. But sooner or later, it catches up to everybody. Last Monday in Louisville, a 23-year-old kid murdered five employees with an AR-15 at the bank that he used to work at. And he was killed by police within minutes of the attack. I think it was like three minutes. And the shooter had previously been given notice that he was going to be fired from the bank. And according to his distraught parents, the kid had real troubles, but that they never saw this coming. Like me, you knew someone and were close friends or family with someone who was killed or whether you're just part of our community. These five victims should not be dead, just like everyone else who is killed by gun violence in our city, in our country should not be dead and so while there is a spirit of compassion and a spirit of coming together and we are going to unite as a community stronger than other and share love and support for one another i'm also hopeful that we are taking action because as you heard from the doctor at the university of louisville hospital earlier on in your package we are weary we are tired we have had enough gun violence in Louisville. We have had enough gun violence in our country, and it is time to take action. Now, Louisville Mayor Craig Greenberg blasted the state law at a press conference on Monday saying, and I quote, the laws we have now are enabling violence and murder. Kentucky is one of the most firearm-friendly states east of the Mississippi. Kentucky gun laws are so lax that firearms seized by law enforcement will be sold at auction. Referring to the AR-15 used in the bank shooting that Greenberg said, and again I quote, Think about that, that murder weapons will be back on the streets one day. He then continued and said, It's time to change this law and let us destroy the guns that have been used to kill our friends and kill our neighbors. I mean, Kentucky is some of the highest gun-related deaths in the country. So seriously, what the fuck are they thinking about? Why the hell is this thing not already passed? You are fascist! You are fascist! In Tennessee, the whole shit show last week in the state's House of Representatives was started because six innocent people were gunned down. A protest then followed. 
The Tennessee Three, I mean, as they've named themselves, I believe, brought the protest to the House and it made Republicans so fucking angry that they expelled two of the three Democrats who led the charge. Well, I'm happy to report that Representative Justin Jones of Nashville and Representative Justin Pearson of Memphis have been reinstated by their constituents and have returned to the House. Monday evening, the Metropolitan Nashville Council unanimously voted to appoint Jones back to his seat. Yeah, baby. Which is pretty great. That is pretty nice, especially because now that he's technically a new member, Jones can file up to 15 bills, and he has said that each of those bills would have to do with gun reform. Yes. Except for his first one, HB 252, haha, suck it, you dummies. And just a few hours ago, the other expelled member of the Tennessee legislature, Justin J. Pearson, was also reinstated. Governor Bill Lee signed an executive order on Tuesday to prohibit the sale of guns without background checks. He's also said to be in favor of red flag laws. So my friends, don't for a minute think that these protests don't work. They do, and we need more of them. Now another follow-up to a story that we've been reporting on, and that's a judge in the Dominion lawsuit against Fox News sanctioned Fox on Monday for withholding evidence. Can we, can we just go off the record for one sec here? Yeah, of course. Um, I, I, want, I don't want us to say it if it's not. That's why we're yeah, checking. I would, I would, I would, I think they have looked at the machines. Uh, when, the, when the Secretary of State did its audit, uh, there, there was a lot, of, I think a fair bit of looking at the machines. Um, you know, the audit came in pretty darn close to what the machine count was with the receipts. So, you know, I don't know the outcome of those, but our understanding, again, this is from the Secretary of State's office, was that there weren't any physical issues with machines on those inspections. And plans are now underway to appoint a special master to probe for possible misconduct. That trial is set to begin on Monday. But look, friends, anything can happen between now and then. And lastly, Joe Biden's got a hero welcome in Ireland this week as he set off on a diplomatic and deeply personal mission. 25 years ago this week, the landmark Belfast Good Friday Agreement was signed. It's good to see Belfast, a city that's alive with commerce, art, and uh, I would argue inspiration. The dividends of peace are all around us. So today, I come to Belfast to pledge to all the people of Northern Ireland, the United States of America will continue be your partner in building the future the young people of our world deserve. I mean, Biden's ancestors, the Finnegans, left their Irish village in the 1840s to find a better life. And think about this, my friends. In just five generations, five, one of their own becomes the president of the United States. So anyone that says that immigration doesn't work, seriously, go fuck yourselves. Because here at home, Biden's approval numbers are up. I mean, as people begin to understand how decent a man he actually is and how much good that he has done for this country and will continue to do for our nation over the course of the next two years and possibly six. And now for the main event.
Joining us today is my old friend Harry Littman, the former U.S. Attorney and Deputy Assistant Attorney General. Littman is currently the legal affairs columnist for the Los Angeles Times, as well as a professor of constitutional law at both UCLA and UCSD. Harry can be seen as a legal and political commentator on CBS, NPR, MSNBC, and CNN. Littman is also the creator and host of the Talking Feds podcast, and you'd be smart to subscribe to the Talking Feds brand new YouTube channel. I mean, new episodes are posted daily, and the truth is that they're fantastic. But today is here. Harry is here to give us the rundown on all of the legal battles currently raging in Washington and looming for the former president. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Harry, let's jump right into it. And I want to talk to you about the showdown. I mean, this is like the showdown at the OK Corral between Jim Jordan and Alvin Bragg. So Jordan is, and this is in my opinion, he's, he's over his head. He's definitely over his skis on this one, right? Because on Tuesday, Alvin Bragg, the New York District Attorney, filed a lawsuit, Southern District of New York, federal court, against Jim Jordan, Congressman of Ohio, for basically trying to interfere in his case against Donald Trump, New York District Attorney case. He also filed the lawsuit against Mark Pomerantz. So tell me what you know about these two. Okay, well, look, I agree with you, but, uh, you know, Jordan's walking like Eli Wallach, if that's not too old. <laughs> but, he's, but he's carrying a pop gun. Uh, you know, he's got nothing, whereas Bragg has brought uh, real weapons to the fight, especially with his lawyer. So, look, it's always been clear that Jordan is, you know, completely uh, weeding in, in Bragg's garden without any authority they he's made this far-fetched claim well you know you get some federal money and we want to know how that's spent and therefore tell us everything about your investigation of donald trump and show up and uh uh, answer a subpoena etc bragg has made a smart move he's done a sort of preemptive uh lawsuit he goes to federal court not state court goes to federal court and asks for a declaratory judgment nothing more just could we please get uh, you, your, the court to, to hold that the Congress, you know, first, it, it has no general police power. Second, has no legitimate legislative uh, role here. And third, just can't be monkeying around with pending prosecutions. And Jordan is sort of fumfered around and, and rattled sabers along with Comer and others. But, you know, he he uh, no one's ever tried to do what Jordan is is doing now. And I think it's a lot of posturing. And and he, he uh, you know, has a has a bad case. And one last quick point is Bragg has a really hot shot, nationally respected lawyer, Ted Boutros, who could take it all the way up to the Supreme Court if need be. So he's he's loaded for bear and Jordan is you know loaded for, uh, yeah, uh, you know, little pipsqueaks. Yeah, I mean, Ted Boutros is the real deal. To anybody yeah. who doesn't know, I certainly uh, suggest <laughs> you look up his name. This is a guy who's very, very high profile. He's a incredible lawyer, by the way. Um, what I really like the most in Alvin Bragg's 50-page um, document, his complaint, was he described the actions of Jim Jordan, and I'm going to quote, a transparent campaign to intimidate and attack 
his office against former President Donald Trump. I bring up this specific language because the concern for the American people, the concern by American people regarding these actions should be so much greater than what it really is. Yes, those of us who are center and left of center are angry that Jim Jordan, right, is actually doing this and the reasons we believe that he's doing it. But I'm talking more about the center folks, the ones that, it's not that they dislike Donald. They may like some of his policies. They just find him as the messenger to be the wrong guy. But they're not taking the stance that they should. You have a member of Congress who happens to be the chair of a committee or multiple committees who's now doing the work for a former president who's already declaring that he's going to be the 47th president of the United States of America, despite the fact that Jim Jordan, the Congress member, has no idea what he's talking about and has no requisite knowledge or information regarding Alvin Bragg's case. It's all yeah. made up. This yeah, is a look, danger I, to I democracy. Really agree. And I... I I think for a lot of people, it's just noise on both sides, but it shouldn't be. This is dangerous stuff, having a member. It would be dangerous if a member of Congress, and they've tried to do it with some success under uh, under Trump and Rod Rosenstein, try to get information on a pending federal prosecution. But it's really completely out of line. You know, these guys are supposed to be in favor of local power and federalism and and the like. And that and that kind of trying to interfere with a pending prosecution, that that's that's really, you know, uh, unprecedented and dangerous. It's bad for defendants. It's bad in a lot of ways. And I, I think you're right that people see it as, you know, they're not up in arms because you, it, it's hard to filter out the noise from different sides. But this is it's this is not like the January 6th uh, committee going, you know, looking at, f at fully developed facts, but not trying to delve into pending prosecutions. Th this is exactly what uh, the, the law says you can't do and, you know, be mucking around in a grand jury investigation. Oh, and by the way, of course, it's not as if it's, it's, it purports to be any kind of neutral investigation. They, they say flat out, um, you know, in, in response to Bragg's letter and lawsuit, they say, oh, well, so now first he brings a non-case against the president, and now he's telling us we can't even look into how we spend our money. In other words, you have some, you know, high up officials in one party really disparaging this case that before they even knew about it, before the indictment was even unsealed. And that that makes the whole thing really fraught and politicized. Yes, yeah, so I'm going to give you the comparison between the two sides, between the competent counsel, Boutros, uh, and on behalf of Alvin Bragg and Alvin's office, along with the contra position onto it, of that of Congressman Jim Jordan. So <laughs> in the Bragg complaint, and again, I'm going to quote now, it states, in sum... Congress lacks any valid legislative purpose to engage in a free-ranging campaign of harassment in retaliation for the district attorney's investigation and prosecution of Mr. Trump under the laws of New York. All right. 
goes on to say that campaign is a direct threat to federalism and the sovereign interests of the state of New York. Now, it then goes on. This court should enjoin the subpoena and put an end to this constitutionally destructive fishing expedition. These are powerful and intelligent words. And they, he brings the receipts, right? You've got you've got pay, the fifty pages. Of, you know, about forty of them are just going back and forth, and they kind of speak for themselves. The really intemperate and oh, you know overbearing uh, letters from Jordan and all his public statements, et cetera. Yeah, and then let me just then contrast it to <laughs> dear old Jimbo Jordan, who then puts out into a tweet. Thank God, right? I mean, God forbid he would put it out on his congressional letterhead or do it, you know, in some other manner other than a tweet. And I quote, first, they indict a president for no crime. Then they sue to block congressional oversight when we ask questions about the federal funds they say they use to do it. Now, there's so many, it's such a short two sentence but there's so many untruths in those 40 or so words. First of all, he's not president. He's a former president. So let me start with that. They indict a president for no crime. How does he know? How does he know? It's funny because I spent, as you're well aware, 23 occasions with the district attorney of New York. 20 by testimony, by providing information two times to the grand jury, and one time I was just in the batter's box in order to impeach anything that Costello would say that left the grand jurors with a question. Thank God the guy's so incompetent and that he is, you know, he's so full of shit that there was no need for me to even come in not, to rebut. Not to mention time in the pokey for this supposed non-crime. Uh, exactly. How does he know, considering I don't know, and I believe that I've probably been before the DA of New York more than anybody else. How does he know that there's no crime? And then they sue to block congressional oversight when we ask questions about the federal funds. Well, where did you ask questions to? Right. You may have questions, but you haven't asked anybody questions about federal funds. And what federal funds is he asserting? He's asserting that five thousand dollars in federal funds is now being used as retaliation. Great word. It's a word that Judge Alvin K. Hellerstein used when they unconstitutionally remanded me back to prison for Trump getting his pecker pulled by a porn star, right, to his office's investigation into Trump that led the indictment. How does he know any of this? How does he know what the full extent of the crime is? So he knows nothing. And remember, this refrain started before the indictment was unsealed. On this uh, money stuff, this is why I say pop gun instead of maybe, you know, water pistol. There in uh, Congress, there's a federal money goes everywhere, including some to local prosecutors. But Bragg's already given an account of that and said, you know, actually, when uh, we had to uh, sue Trump and take it up to the Supreme Court, you could say that a few thousand dollars of the federal funds <laughs> were used for that, but it, it's a complete empty pretext, the suggestion that somehow they are just being wise superintendents of federal funds. They're being, you know, they want to politically, uh, 
second guesses judgment, reveal secret grand jury things to the American people, polemicize and and politicize it. So that's a very, very thin uh, read to say, well, Congress gives you some money. You know, if he's it's a that it's a smart move by Brett because he could have right now. Jordan is, you know, really he's got a road tour plan to go to New York to basically um insult brag for their crime uh records brag came out and said actually we're doing a lot better than columbus ohio where where you're from but it's all irrelevant by the way do you know that do you know the numbers it's three times the number three times based upon population than new york but all of it has nothing to do with nothing right what he wants to do is muck around in the trump Secret uh, proceedings. That's there, there's a pl- time and a place to do that. The time is in a criminal trial, and the place is in the New York court. So it, you know, officious intermeddler. I think is the is the title that Jordan adds to his many others in uh, in this latest campaign. Yeah. By the way, it's not five thousand dollars. Once again, Jim Jordan is wrong in terms of federal funds. Let's not forget that Donald has Secret Service protection uh, around, you know, around him twenty four seven. That's federal Nothing funds that he used Brad, to pay them. Do right, doesn't Brad, make a difference. He had to get to New York, you know, based upon this indictment and to surrender and everything. The federal funds that are being used, you know, in order to hold this guy accountable for his dirty deeds is certainly a lot more than five. I don't even know where. It's a, you know what I love the most? I'm just talking about what Bragg says his office spent. Because sure. that's where Jordan says, you know, I want to over, oh, give oversight. Sorry, I interrupted. Yeah, $5,000. It's right on the exact dollar amount. You know, I mean, it's it's funny. Maybe it's, maybe it's $4,900. Maybe it's $5,001. Who the hell knows? Maybe but it's $5 million. How, it's got nothing to do with the What does it have to do with accountability? Indictment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So let's talk about another case that's going on right now. You have the E. Jean Carroll case. And that begins on April 25th. As, you know, as Judge uh, Lewis uh, Kaplan said, you know, and very much like Engeron. Come hella high water. This case is this case is proceeding, right? And this one's supposed to begin on April 25. So Monday, Judge Lewis A. Kaplan issues an order directing the parties in the case to notify him by April 20th whether they will be present throughout the trial. Meaning, is Trump going to be there? Could you imagine? He may actually elect not to be in the courtroom during this case, despite the fact he's the defendant. And then Tuesday, Kaplan issued a new ruling to keep the identity of the jury anonymous. Smart move, in my opinion. What's your take on how Kaplan is handling this case? Very strictly and holding Trump's feet to the fire. He's also he's he's issued rulings uh, on in pretrials. For example, she's going to be able to E. Jean Carroll introduce other episodes where Trump allegedly assaulted women to sort of show a pattern of behavior. As you say, he's been strict on the timing. There's a there's a this just in bulletin. Trump has come and asked for another four week delay on the uh, theory that. This latest spate of publicity with his indictment from Bragg just is so it has created so much prejudice against him that you need a quote unquote cooling off period. Kaplan has been really uh, tough and people, you know, don't don't uh, I think see this as they should in the overall kind of 
different, you know, arrows and slings that are headed uh, right at at Trump's uh, midsection here. He may, if he doesn't show up, of course, he's inviting, he's already in so many ways inviting the jury to uh, hate him and rule against him. I think there's a real chance he takes a default judgment on liability and just comes back for uh, damages, just doesn't show up that way because he's going to just be, you know, it's going to be a total uh, cluster F for him, the, the trial and the evidence itself. And the only way he can even, this is gets a little lawyerly, but I think it's an important point is coming up in the different ones. He wants to say, oh, I never met her. I, she's not my type, et cetera. He's going to have to testify to bring that across. And you know better than I, Donald Trump cannot testify. He is the worst, you know, witness of all time. And they have such, uh, you know, they can bring lie after lie against him. So it's an almost unmanageable case. And by the way, with a really sharp lawyer on the other side in this one, too, as in Bragg, Roberta Carter, who is totally the clobber him if he takes the stand. He, you know, and so I, I, I'll be really interested to see what if Kaplan gives him a few weeks. It, I, it doesn't seem like a great reason for, you know, he's a, he's a, a high profile guy. He'll be a high profile guy in three weeks also, but he's looking for one last little delay. But now it really is, uh, you know, the, the, time, you know, time for the, it's midnight at the OK Corral here as well. And he's, uh, if, he's in big trouble if he shows up big trouble if he doesn't show up this one is really really uh killer and of course it's it's a dual case right now they're talking defamation but she was also able to bring a sexual assault case based on the original episode because the new york uh legislature passed a special law to letter so i think this is a clear and present danger to donald trump in a big way Yeah, I agree with you. And I agree with you on the strategy that they're going to employ. They're going to take the default judgment or they're going to acknowledge. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, they're going to. And the reason I say that, that's the exact strategy that they're using right now on my on my case against Donald Mm -hmm. Trump for the legal fees. What they did is they said at the time, and this was in open court, they said that if, in fact, we lose this motion for summary judgment, then we will. Um, concede liability and will go to trial for damages. Okay. And ultimately, you know, it was overturned 5 nothing on appeal. And they conceded because part of the ruling was that if, in fact, they were going to contest now on liability, I have the right, because I have already put those requests in, to depose Donald, Alan Weisselberg, and Don Jr. You could not get three worse people to sit at a table for a deposition than, you know, heckle, jekyll, and schmeckle. All right? I mean, it's just the way, and, and in no descending way, I would say schmeckle is probably Donald, you know, heckle is Don, and jekyll is uh, Weisselberg. You know, I'd have to wait for him to come out next week, which that's just a whole nother sore spot for me. So let me move on and then ask you this question. Yeah. So Bill Barr says, and who gives a shit with Bill Barr? Let me know why I'm asking you this question. That the strongest case against Trump right now is currently the Morilardo documents case. And Jack Smith got some important new evidence tying Trump to obstruction of justice. 
Do you agree with Bill Barr that it's the best case against Donald? And is an indictment in that case coming soon? Your opinion. I do. I do agree. And I've been saying this for a while. I mean, you look at the panorama, Bragg's case, pre-presidential conduct and uh, doesn't have big penalties. Fulton County it looks kind of serious, but there's going to be a lot of legal challenges uh, because of uh, the, the Georgia posture and it being in a state. January 6th, in some ways, the most serious, but unprecedented sprawling mar-a-lago is really the sweet spot because the, the the it's for starters such a strong rebuttal to people who say like you know jordan's saying now that somehow trump has been singled out for political reasons a thousand percent clear that anybody who did one-tenth of what he did the the doj would be prosecuting second hello the conduct hello what yeah. i do Right. I used my I used money at his direction, his, um, you know, at, at, for his benefit, you know, in coordination with, you know, with his to do an NDA. And that's a charge for me. And then this isn't top well, secret, but, highest classification documents. No, but I think I, I may have, I may have missed something. We're maybe talking past it. I'm saying this is a really serious. Yes. Part. It's a. Yeah, it's a clean charge for starters because you can show would be brought against anyone else. It's grave, as you say. These are documents. I, you know, I've been in government. You, you can't even look at these things except in a separate room, surrendering your phone, etc. It's a, they take it very seriously. But the obstructive um, conduct on Trump's part is just so flagrant and arrogant and Trumpian. And uh, they uh, they've developed Smith has developed some really good uh, evidence. First, as you say, we've got this report of different people lately where, you know, he gets a subpoena. He, he screws, he, you know, he diddles them around for a long time. But then a subpoena comes. You know, that is really the uh, the sobering moment. You you uh, are you going to be a criminal or are you going to uh, hmm. obey the law? He decides to be a criminal and they have evidence that has him going over the some of the papers, that has him uh, ignoring counselors' uh, admonitions. You have to follow through. And they've got the evidence. We don't know what it is yet, but his actual conversations with his lawyer at the time, which he would have thought would have been protected. So I think Smith really has the goods on it, and it's a case that nobody can say wouldn't, you know, is just ginned up for political reasons. It's clean. You can really get your hands around it. And uh, so, yeah, I see it as the most dangerous and coming. I, I let me put it this way. I don't know what what other big steps remain for Smith to undertake, whereas in January 6th, he now has he's gotten orders for Pence for uh, Stephen Miller was in there yesterday, supposedly Meadows, although he'll probably take the fifth. But that's still a lot to de to develop and figure out. And there are First Amendment possible issues the documents one is clean it's federal uh smith has gotten great evidence from it that that to me is the is the you know the the dagger really poised at uh at donald's as you say the donald's uh throat so there's two things there yeah. first of all i believe that it's actually not one but two lawyers who over the course of the 
uh, time period, signed affidavits or attestations that there were no more documents, right? Didn't Corcoran, didn't he sign a document or make statements that they had searched? Or was that Christina Hobb? Or was it both of them? No. So I think Corcoran uh, uh, went to Christina and said, oh, sign right here, you junior lawyer. And she had the presence of mind to say, based on what I've been told. So he actually, uh, and this was like quite quite the uh, antenna ringing uh, event, said, yeah, sign right here. And and Trump told me it's OK. That's why you really want to hear from and Bob's already cooperating. And so you want to hear from Corcoran. And I think they did. He got ordered to and he went in a week ago Friday and no reason to think he took the fifth. That's got to be killer evidence. Oh, yeah. I mean, this guaranteed Jack Smith. This is a guy who knows what he's doing versus this crackerjack clown car of counsel that Donald has surrounded himself yeah. by. I mean, it was unbelievable. During the indictment, you see guys like Boris Epstein, right, sitting at that table. Why? What was I mean, that? What does, he, does, does he think? Still, does, right, uh, even, he think? even today, he was at that table. It's, it's crazy, right? Miller also. Yeah. Just I just don't get it. Circle. Elite- I guess there's nobody else. Well, that's the problem. You got Alina Haba. You have, you know, it's such, it, it's like I said, it's just a clown car. But you know, Harry, what bothers me a lot, as I'm watching television, I hear so many pundits say, well, the Alvin Bragg case is the weakest of the four cases. And that may be true. And I'll even acknowledge, which I have, that. Seditious conspiracy, the January 6th case, is certainly ranking the highest, in my opinion, for things that you really should go to jail for, trying to overthrow the government, right? But why are we now ranking cases of criminality, right? So because he's being looked at for seditious conspiracy, for theft and misappropriation of top-secret classified documents, because he's looking at another one of trying to overturn a free and fair election, the Fannie Willis-Fulton County, Georgia case, that means that they shouldn't look at the hush money payment scheme by Donald because it's such a lower crime in comparison to the others that it ranks fourth, so therefore it shouldn't have been brought. I don't understand that logic. Because if that logic rang true, Al Capone never would have gone away. I always call this the Capone theory. They couldn't get him for murder. They couldn't get him for racketeering, extortion, bootlegging, and the other countless things that he was doing. So they got him on tax evasion. You can call it ticky-tack all you want. I promise you, if this was you, as it was me, you too would have ended up at a federal correctional institution. So I'm totally with you and I'm getting a little nervous. We're like halfway through the show. And we haven't we haven't had anything to disagree on. But uh, but it's it's absolutely right. And first, uh, you can show and uh, people people said otherwise. But uh, the good they we now have all kinds of cases where they did it in similar circumstances. But I think it's just a way to try to make it seem like, you know, you've heard at its at its worst, this sort of trivializing idea. Oh, it's a, an accounting error. What Bragg has done well, he was pretty, uh, he hasn't really shown his hand too, so far in the indictment, but he's in his public statements and the statement of fact, he made this into an overall 
scheme beginning with you know uh, approaching David Pecker I think you were even there in 2015 going into the White House and it's a scheme about concealing information from the American people in a way that was designed to and maybe could have and for all we know swayed the election that's serious and and grave and it's not unusual and you know this as a lawyer for like the actual legal violation that you pinpoint to have elements that don't go precisely the the what the lawyers call the gravamen but i mean this was a total trumpian uh thing to just keep information the, that the american people had a right to have and could have really swayed an election there's nothing trivial about that you're right if we're ranking that uh, you know, you go up from there to seditious conspiracy, but but we don't have to be um, ranking. And I, you know, it's gotten this focus because it's the first. But you know, in a few months from now, when Fulton County and maybe Mar-a-Lago are out, it it will sort of uh, fade into obscurity that it was first. He'll just be, you know, I, think, you know, in an open field, kind of you know, like a wounded bull going from from place to place, including E. Jean Carroll. He's got to sit for another deposition in uh, Letitia James, your favorite case, and you're her favorite uh, part of that case. So it's just, you know, things are everywhere. And you don't, you're, you're, I totally agree. You don't compare. I, I, I made the mistake of saying relatively trivial, which it was on one of these shows and, you know, and got a gotcha moment. No, it's, it's totally righteous. And it's righteous because what it's about is, pulling the wool over the American public's eyes and possibly uh, changing the results of an election. Nothing silly about that or ticky-tack. Nope, nothing at all. You know, what's interesting is I've heard through the grapevine that Donald is walking around Mar-a-Lardo. He's fucking angry at everything. I mean, he's just angry. And I could understand it. You know, it's Accountability is not something that he deals with or ever has. And so this is a whole new experience for him, especially in light of the fact that Jack Smith had several recent wins in court, including that Pence is now going to have to testify um, and that Pence is not going to fight the subpoena. I found that to be interesting because I find him to be a spineless asshole. But Pence will be under oath. What are you expecting to come out of that testimony? Yeah. And I just want to double back on one thing you said. I, you know, he we've got the latest. Uh, he's just said that he will continue to run for president if he's convicted. He said that this morning. So you're talking about, you know, an incredible <laughs> spectacle of a former president being just, you know, it's it's like the, the scene in Monty Python with, you know, a mere flesh wound, but he's he's under assault. We're so far past the Teflon Don idea. If you add up the civil and the criminal stuff, this, he, he is, uh, you know, got it incoming from all directions. All right. So including now Pence, I really agree with you. It was interesting because Pence, you know, uh, planted a flag and said, I'm going to defend the speech or debate clause mm-hmm. claim, which presumably he never even heard of. Uh, but but uh, I had thought it was a political calculation. I've got to appease the Trump faithful. And maybe he's finally uh, figured out I'm never going to, I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I'm not going to get there by trying to uh, make uh, the Trump uh, folks uh, love me. That That will never be. I think he'll give it up. Pretty much. And it's going to be 
uh, you know, uh, you can see it almost in, in a comic R-rated form. What exactly did he... Well, the president was reckless. No, uh, Mr. Vice President, tell us exactly what President Trump said to you when you were in the wings of the White House, when you were on the phone with him January 6th, when he was, you know, um, I think uh, the legal term is, you know, ripping you a new one uh, hmm. to, to get you to... Um, to call off the the ones illegally the one six certification. I don't see why, you know, he may have some lo convenient losses of memory, but how are you going to credibly forget when the, your boss, the president of the United States, is like savaging you like you've never been savaged in a vulgar and profane way? And I think. He's gonna he's gonna give it up. There may be other things there too because he had a lot of the the Pence is is present for a few things, not all that much, but it's the one on ones that we don't have yet that he's gonna be really providing vivid testimony and that yeah, but Trump will just but Harry Trump will just turn around and say it's hearsay. I never said it. Prove it. Uh, I'm back to my lawyerly uh, nerdy ways. He, I don't know how he's gonna say it in court. Uh, you know, who's going to, I mean, so you'll have Pence say it. Trump can only say if he takes the stand, good luck for that. And even if he tries, that's right. It'll come down to does a jury believe what Pence is saying and not just Pence, right? We now have uh, seven other people whom they rejected the executive privilege claim for and Trump never say die. Actually, I think uh, your listeners will know this. He's still trying to fight the Pence uh, executive privilege part of things. Right. That's the one that he appealed. And presumably that's going to take two days now. The D.C. Circuit has has rejected that again and again and again. So you have the possibility that Smith has not only, you know, in the next few weeks, the, that whole list of, of people, uh, not just Meadows, uh, but Cuccinelli and Miller and, you know, three or four more. Now we'll see. I, Meadows is the number one to me and will he you know take the fifth and if he does will the doj give him you know um you're, you're, you're back you're back to your ranking but harry harry sorry you're, yeah sorry harry you're back to your ranking i'm not yeah. so sure i'm not so sure that mark meadows would be the number one person uh, you know let me give you my thoughts on this knowing okay. the scenario because obviously you know the smith special grand jury the other day uh talked to stephen miller yeah. Six hours, right? Yeah. First, I want to ask you, what do you think that they talked about? What do you think that they talked to Miller about? And why I think that Miller is at least on par with Mark Meadows. That dirtbag was around well before Mark Meadows. He was there almost from the very beginning. Like as soon as the campaign started kicking off, Donald has come to rely upon Miller as a speechwriter. To the point that Miller would write it. Sometimes Donald wouldn't even read it in advance. And then he would turn around while he's sitting on the plane going to a, He would take his crayon and he would start marking a little bit up and so on. Because Miller actually managed to capture Donald's voice. He yeah. really managed to hone in on the racism, sexism the misogyny, the xenophobia, the homophobia, the Islamophobia, and despite him being a Jew himself, the anti-Semitism that Donald likes to relay to his, you know, to his listeners and to his rally goers. So what do you think that they talked about? 
Yeah, and you know he is. He's the ultimate hanger on. He was a kid, and he uh, had tremendous sort of you know staying power, basically because he really was the ultimate sycophant for Trump. Six hours is a long time. I know one thing they talked about. Miller had a big hand in the speech at the ellipse, and there were words that Trump put in that are really uh, bad. And they and they uh, I don't have them in front of me now, but they they have a back and forth where even Miller, there's a fight about, you know, you cannot say this, Mr. President. So that's going to be, you know, that everything involving the, the speech will be a part of it. But like you, I have a sense. I mean, you have a, you were, you know, there uh, with uh, with uh, you know, standing right there on the sidelines. But he just became one of, you know, Trump. Trump goes to his friendliest audience. And that was Miller. So I think uh, there's I, I, I'm not at all surprised there's six hours of material and and it just covers everything i think starting even before the election yeah i mean it's crazy so then let's then jump to mark meadows right because other than pence and miller and so mark meadows is definitely a person that the grand jury wants to hear from where is he i don't understand where is he and do you think that meadows has already flipped a lot of people believe that he might have already flipped I do not believe he's already flipped. I think we would know it if he did. He's had, you're right, he stayed really, you know, everything about Trump and Trump circle has been run exactly contrary to the book. Meadows is the way the book's supposed to be. Through a combination of some good fortune and some good lawyering, he has stayed undercover. And, uh, you know, he he's avoided the, the showdown that really the country deserves you know, leave alone uh, Jack Smith. He was involved. The reason I, I see him as the most important is he is the closest to uh, Trump, you know, physically and um, therefore in communication all the way through this period. He goes down to Georgia and is deeply involved there. He's deeply involved in the DOJ, you know, attempted coup and January 6th itself. He's taking all the phone calls. He, you know, he's the guy who says, uh, you heard, you, you heard him. He thinks Pence ought to be hanged. He's the closest we have to the, uh, you know, actual, um, uh, translator for, you know, for Trump. He's, you know, he's heard it all. And he got, you know, remember he did a little bit of cooperation with the committee, gave them the, the thousand or so emails that he wanted. And that was already a treasure trove. Then he stopped cooperating and got in litigation, so the committee had to go hands off, um, and he's really been able to to be out of sight. I think he'll stay out of sight in that he's going to take the fifth. And the you know DOJ thinks long and hard about giving someone who's got such culpability immunity to testify. But if they do give it here, I mean they will sit him down. And get before they make a decision because it's you know immunity is the golden ticket. It's what his lawyer George Terwilliger would want. He'll have to make a kind of representation of what what things he could say. And you know he is for all the stuff we don't know. He and Donald Trump are the most likely to know. And obviously you're not going to get it from from Trump. So I think it he'll he'll play this out a little bit 
you know, Trump will will uh, play out his claim. It'll go against him, and Meadows will come into the grand jury within a week or two, and that's that'll be the the time. But I think he'll he'll take the Fifth Amendment, and that will really then uh, put into play a high level. Dis- and this uh, this to me is one for you know Lisa Monaco and Merrick Garland. Uh, are they going? Do they give Meadows immunity? Just assuming, just assuming that these guys decide to pick up their ass and do something, right? But just to just to bring full circle you brought you said that you know there were edits made to the ellipse speech uh, yeah. so that was actually the um mention of vice president pence having the ability to overturn the election result exactly. and you know if i could quote it for you we will see this is donald's words and it's so crazy when you listen to the shit that comes out of Donald's mouth. I often say that his ass must be so jealous of the shit that comes out of his mouth. It's insane. Think about this. We will see whether Mike Pence enters history as a truly great and courageous leader, right? There he is stroking his ass, giving him nice little pats on the back, right? Mike, you want to be courageous? Do what I'm telling you. And then he further goes on. All he has to do, so he's not asking him to think, about what he wants him right. to do. He's directing him. Again, this is a mob boss mentality. This is a mob boss way of speaking. All he has to do is refer the illegally submitted electoral votes back to the states. So he's already giving the reason why Mike should do it. Yeah. It's illegal. And so, you know, it's and the that's language too much for that, Miller, right? Yeah. Yes, it's even too much for Miller, which is hard to which is hard to believe. Hey, Harry, let me then move to the next the next big case here, and that's of course Fannie Willis and Georgia, because what we're just doing is we're going through all of the legal woes that Trump is currently existing in. You know, personally, the fact that he's even standing, despite the fact I've heard from insiders that he is a miserable, miserable son of a bitch right now. If anybody takes pleasure in another guy's grief, rest assured, his grief level is over a 10. I mean, he's pissed at everyone. You bring him a Diet Coke, too much ice. You bring him another Diet Coke, too little ice. Their soda's flat. It just opened it up from the can. Give me the can. I mean, he's just yelling at everyone and everything. He must feel control slipping away, right? That's a terrible feeling for Donald Trump. For him especially. Do you think that Fannie Willis's case in Georgia is going to move forward anytime soon? Uh, Like, I mean, really anytime soon. Look, she said imminent a few months ago. She's then uh, backed away by, by saying, oh, I meant legally imminent. But when she said imminent, I think she meant imminent. Now, it's a really, this, unlike Bragg, unlike Mar-a-Lago, it's a big sprawling case, at least if it's anything like what the special grand jury recommends. Uh, we know that there's something like 15 uh, defendants, and it's sort of two sets of them, everything that happened, uh, the sort of big cast of characters, including Trump in D.C., but also in Georgia as well, almost a parallel case we had on good authority that she was maybe considering a RICO case, which is the most sort of sprawling and difficult to prove, but you get a lot of stuff in. But when she said imminent, I took it to mean that the main, her main decisions had been, had been done. And it's really just, you have to present it. Now, I can't think of a reason why that anything would have changed that. You know, she's been 
the same thing with Bragg. They've been thinking about it for a year. You don't just sort of go into this thinking, well, we'll see where we are at the end of the day. They've been really serious about bringing charges. So I don't see the final uh, impediment. But of course, there's been something that's been staying her hand for now. We're talking about a few months. The the new grand jury meets uh, next, uh, starting in May, and there's reasons to use a new grand jury having to do with Speedy Trial Act. So I would, I would think the next, uh, you know, clear opportunity that being in May would be when she would, uh, do it. But I say that with the caveat that I'm not exactly sure why she's been staying her hand, but it was a case that was ripe, a big mm-hmm. case. And uh, so I, I think it remains that and the, there, you know, the, she's hit pause on it. But now we look to the next regular grand jury to just hear the evidence over a few days that the special grand jury, remember, which was just advisory heard. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, th- I'm thinking that's within a month. Yeah, you and I both, by the way. Uh, and it's funny because everything is always about ranking. I turned around and I told everybody. Yeah. I went out on television. I argued with all the genius talking heads. And I said, trust me when I tell you, the Alvin Bray case is going to be the first one to go, right? He's gonna, he'll be the first to indict. And it's a lot stronger than people think, which I think uh, the New York Times actually put out a great uh, article about the fact that the case is much, much stronger than what people think. It's it was the time and I think that's and I, and it's I, really this big fraud scheme, not a little accounting error, right? So, correct. Yeah. Putting all that, I agree with you. I think May and the beginning of May, I think is when Fannie Willis case, I think it's absolutely ripe for her to, to go forward. I think they have all the evidence that they're gonna need for that. And then I really believe that it's only gonna be weeks, like not months, before which Jack Smith And a lot of people are questioning right now whether or not Jack Smith is going to bifurcate these two issues that he's dealing with, right? One, of course, is the Morillardo documents. I believe that they will. And I think weeks after Fonnie Willis, that's when he'll drop, uh, they'll drop the indictment on that case. That's that's what I... And you talk about Donald's mood, but I mean, think about this. You know, he's now, you show up, I've been to a lot of arraignments. They are sobering events. You first come face to face with... The oh, law. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, 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 I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Harry. You've been to a lot of arraignments. Have you ever been to an arraignment as a defendant? <laughs> no, but as All a right, defense attorney. Exa- right, exactly. Right. Well, you can tell me. <laughs> did it focus the mind? Did it scare the shit out of you? That's what it. That's what I. Let found me tell it you. Does. It sucks. Yeah. You have right. no control. Now, you have no idea what's going to happen to you. You have no idea about your freedom. It wrecks your family. It rips your soul out. Your stomach feels like it's in your throat. He's going to be going through this now two more times. And Or three, and not to mention the civil. And what's his gamble, right? I mean, he can make all the political points he wants. But, you know, I'll be president at what, if, even if I'm convicted, I, you know. He good good luck. To, I mean, he's really looking at this enormous. You know what 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 avenue does he have for escape now, except winning the presidency, or you know, well, I don't want to even go there. Winning the presidency, and you know, nobody sees those odds are good. He's got to really uh, be, you know, uh, just just want to throw up every second of the day. Yeah, anytime you're thinking about it, let's let's jump onto a yeah. different topic for a second. Let's talk about the Dominion case, because I've heard through the grapevine that 
there have been some really interesting rulings in advance of the Fox Dominion trial, which starts on Thursday. That's going to be interesting, including the fact that Dominion can't bring up January 6th and death threats from MAGAs. That I thought was really interesting. What do you know about these rulings and how do you predict that the case will go? Because me, me personally, I can't believe. And, you know, Rupert Murdoch actually used to live in the building that I live in. And I had a chance many, every single morning to go downstairs to the gym and he'd be down there, surprisingly enough, he'd be there working out with a trainer and we'd bullshit, sit and have a conversation. I can't believe that Rupert Murdoch did not settle this case before the filing or before, you know, depositions and now before the ultimate trial date. I cannot believe it. I mean, it takes two to settle and you're, you know, there's a way of looking at it that they have them dead to rights on liability, which is an amazing situation, but, uh, but damages are a little suspect. So, you know, Rupert ought to be talking about a billion dollar, uh, plus check and then it, then it would settle. Sometimes things settle on the, uh, courthouse steps. But look, for first on your rulings, yeah, they say you can't talk about January 6th because that's, that would be too prejudicial, you know, to, to say, to try to tie the uh, defamation on Fox. You can talk about, he can, he can, um, Dominion can say that there were death threats and the judge revealed he'd gotten a lot of death threats. You just can't go into the content of them because, again, mm -hmm. that's sort of third parties and how they're acting. Um, you, uh, Fox wanted to bring up internal emails where Dominion said, you know, we've got problems with our uh, software to say that's the reason you lost money. He said you can't uh, do that. And, uh, you know, in general, the biggest ruling that's been made in advance of trial is they're not even going to be able to contest falsity that, you know, there's two parts to defamation trial. It was false and you knew it was false. And the falsity, he's just going to instruct the jury that it's false. There's no, there's no even argument else. That's a hell of a, um, uh, you know, hole for a defend, a media defendant to start out in. So I, I think they're looking at a really big, um, verdict. They've, oh, the, the other thing he said, Hey, we did sometimes where we got fact checks right. Let's put that in. And he said, yeah. look, that's not relevant when you, you know, to defamation is item by item. So you, you know this, defamation trials are almost always uh, stacked very much for the defendant. And this is one where you have yep. incredible evidence that Fox knew, and it's going to be an enormous financial and reputational hit. The big question Reputational, is, yes. I don't. So let's disagree on one thing here. I don't think it's oh, going great. to be financially. Yeah, because yeah. I, I was getting tired of you agreeing yeah, with really, me. Really? I know. You exactly. Know? I don't believe that financially it's going to be the decimation that everybody thinks it's going to be. I, I have a hard time trying to figure out. Yes, I understand the damages. They can get trouble damages and all that. It would make no difference. I'm having a hard time looking through and I've tried to play through it to see what are the actual damages by Dominion. Um, in terms of lost business uh, or so on. I'm not so sure it's as big as everybody thinks. But can I jump into yeah. a different well, topic right. for Let one me just second? Say, I mean, their whole valuation is like three quarters of a billion dollars. So, so, right. Um, 
That's correct. Yeah. Well, um, wait, wait. You just agreed with me again. God damn it, I, Harry. I had never exactly just, I said that, but it's going to be a big hit. But here's the point I wanted to make. Maybe we can disagree here. Will Fox say, who gives a shit? This is, we're going to stay with the same model. We'll just be a little bit more careful about documenting that we know it's false. My prediction there, yes, they will. They'll, they I agree with you on that one, too. Okay, well, what do you can we yeah. baseball maybe? Well, Yankee. actually, I'm gonna I'll bring up something that you're gonna disagree with, but let me let me just go on to Chief Justice John Roberts for a second because okay. I want to ask you, what the hell is wrong with him? Why has Roberts become so weak? You know, Mike, I don't think he's become so weak. I think he is so weak. Not not Roberts himself, but the position of Chief Justice doesn't really have any kind of leverage. It sounds chief justice like, you know, head coach or president, but he's just, they, they, uh, the court compares itself to nine, uh, law firms and, you know, an individual justice of the United States with life tenure may or may not take the advice of a chief justice who may or may not give it. So, uh, Rehnquist, uh, there was a movie about the Supreme Court where he said, why well, I, I, I can maybe give a little scowl. But you know he can hmm. he can uh, give them worse assignments maybe, uh, but even that you know especially this court that is writing such few opinions. Thomas is a guy who from the start has been very you know um, obdurate and I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do etc. And right now there's you know there are efforts to try to that what'll be interesting legally. You can you might see with this latest, and this is a real black eye, you know, personal hospitality. We're talking about trips that cost twice his annual salary. Um, you could see something come out of the Senate, but you could see the Supreme Court strike it down as unconstitutional, and then then where will we be? But the short answer about Roberts is he doesn't really have the the juice and by his job description to actually change things all i can do is maybe you know have a have a little visit yeah well look i i've always had problems with um tenure for life i don't give a shit supreme court i don't care about whether it's federal court i have real problems with it and i have problems with it because Something that even you tweeted about. I hate the fact that we're so on the same page today. No, no, no. You tweeted this. We're we're just getting there. We're just getting there. I'm ready. You tweeted this. It is beyond outrageous. The height of judicial arrogance for a federal judge to repeatedly refer to abortion as the killing of the unborn human, as um, Kazmarek does. And then Kazmarek ruled... To pull a safe and effective abortion drug off the shelves due to his own religious conviction that had been out there for over, what, close to three decades, something like that? Isn't that against the law? And if it is against the law, which I believe that it is, my question is, how come you can't remove somebody like Kazmarek? How come you can't remove Justice Roberts? You know, Justice Roberts, it's not just, you know, uh, Clarence Thomas and Justice Roberts that are acting as if though they are above the law. I mean, the Dobbs decision didn't just affect Roe versus Wade. It affected many cases, including Bivens, which is a case that I brought in action against the federal government for an unconstitutional remand of a United States citizen back to prison because... The big baby in chief himself was angry and he wanted me stifled and wanted to stifle my First Amendment rights. Dobbs fucking affects that case. 
Dobbs affects everything, but we got a disagreement, Michael. It's great um, because oh, uh, I, I I couldn't agree more on Kaz Merrick and what a piece of shit opinion it is. And I think maybe even the Fifth Circuit will we'll find out tomorrow if they grant a stay. It'll go quickly to the court. I think it's going to be reversed. And if not, you know, woe be, uh, woe be us. It's a it's really a a you know it purports to be a, a, the FDA, but but. I like life tenure, and here's my counterpoint to you. The Wisconsin Supreme Court, I am very glad of the result there, and, and the, the, it really mattered if you had to vote. But that that is a classic example of what can happen if you have, say, judges elected or judges campaigning. And they were basically out there saying, you know, vote for me, and I'll outlaw abortion, vote for me, and I'll I'll make sure it's protected. You know, they were really basically selling their votes, and now it doesn't look like a court of law. So I um it's a big problem, and I I um there's some credible proposals out there, but generally speaking, I think life tenure is less the issue than really um a few really, really lousy judges. Yeah, good. We got okay. a small agreement. Well, yeah, but they managed to get on the bench. I mean, you had um, the three appointed by Donald Trump who lied to the, to the committee, to the um, Judiciary Committee, as they were being questioned for you know, their competency as well as you know, their positions. They each turned around and stated that they were going to accept stare decisis. None of the three of them did. Is that not significant enough? I mean, you basically get up there. It's uh, almost like a performance. And you say the things that they want to say, though, that's not how you feel or what you believe. And you're now in there for life. And they're 53 years old, 55 years old. We're now, as Americans, we're stuck with with these people for the next 35, 40 years. This is no joke. But since we're talking about... Well, man is it no joke. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure I'll go with you all the way on the lie, but man, is it a super flawed um, process? It's a lie, and, and it's a and it's a huge uh, problem. So I'll give you all of, all of those uh, things, uh, you know, and and sort of who they are as a as a court now. But um, that do do you now sort of throw out life tenure? I think it's the immediate question. Sorry, go ahead. Okay, so look, the hour goes by quickly. Oh no! Already, okay, I want to bring up. I want to bring up something to you. I want to bring up something to you. So, let's talk about, for example, recusal. Right? Um, recusal, no. the act of abstaining from participating in official action, such as a legal proceeding, due to a conflict of interest um, of the presiding court official or the administrative officer. You agree with that definition, right? That's right out of Black's law book, correct? I mean, that's what it is. It's, that's not the legal standard for it. But yeah, that's, that's... Okay. So let's assume that there's a official, we'll call him a, uh, we can call him, a, it's a legal proceeding and it's an administrative officer or a court official. And that person recuses themselves, but they actually don't. They start to engage in conversation with other parties in regard to that specific case. And they don't advise anybody of the ongoing communications that they're having. Would you say that that's either unethical or illegal? Yes. 
Okay, would you then turn around and say, what if hypothetically it's Jeffrey Berman of the Southern District of New York who did exactly this, says so in his own book, which goes to show you that he's a fucking moron, right? I mean, you come out there, you're talking about recusal, but then he's involved with Maine Justice. I bring a bar complaint, state of New York, against Jeffrey Berman. It's, it's either unethical or illegal. And they then respond back that they're not going to take any action because Jeffrey Berman also said in his book that nothing that he did was wrong. Does that make any sense to you? It depends on, on, on what he did. So, right, so we, you just need to know the, the facts. I think you've stated, like, the, the structure well, but, you know, what, what exactly did he do? How was he kibitzing, et cetera? So he, not, engaged, he engaged yeah. in conversations with O'Callaghan in regard to whitewashing the testimony um, or their, their, uh, you know, their memo. Uh, he was also instructed to try to have the charges that involved Donald Trump withdrawn, despite the fact I had already pled guilty to them. That's the Karen McDougal Stormy Daniels case. And acknowledges that he felt pressure by the Southern District of New York by Maine Justice to the point that <laughs> he was more concerned about losing his job than anything. Would you still not say that that's unethical? I'll just tell you, when I've been recused from cases, I had, I had nothing to do with them. I wouldn't say boo, they all went to somebody else. By the way, there's a, there's a bar complaint for something. Did you, did you see what happened to Joe Takapina today? I no, think, I didn't. Yeah, there, there. You know, he he had overtures with Stormy Daniels to represent her. That is yes. the same as representation, and now he's on the other side. So I think I read that that a complaint is in the offing or something like that. Anyway, I don't mean to dodge your so before. Your issue, so before, Mike, I just don't right. know the facts of it. So before, well, I I'm sure you've probably looked at the book, and if not, you know, I, I just take my word. So take my word for it. He okay. acknowledges that he was being pressured by Maine Justice in he, order he to whitewash. He says he was involved in a case he was recused from. That's a but that's a no no. Okay, so and that uh, Robert Kazami had ended up taking over, and actually, he states that he had spoken to others in the SDNY. I would suspect it was Kazami, but they never disclosed any of this stuff. I just received a second letter because I asked for a reconsideration and nobody actually broke this case down better than Rachel Maddow. She spent 30 minutes. I got the clip. This was I put a it bar onto complaint a thumb drive. you did or an IG complaint? A bar Michael. complaint. Uh -huh. Bar complaint. And because none of the IG cases have gone any further than this bar complaint either. You know, they don't even respond back to you, despite the fact it's members of Congress, Ted Lieu, Hakeem Jeffries, Senator Dick Durbin, Steve Cohen, Carolyn Maloney, uh, and uh, I think Jamie Raskin or Dan Goldman brought it up as well. None of them have managed to get any investigations open, which should tell you something. But in the point being... They say absolutely nothing about it. I go ahead. I then send that clip of Rachel Maddow's show to them. Would you believe that yesterday I get a letter from the New York State Bar Association that they stand by their initial response that there's nothing, that there's no further investigation into it. The problem that I see is that it's not just, let, let's say, the um, 
Robert Kazamis, the Jeffrey Bermans, that when you have the power, there's no accountability. When you are Clarence Thomas or, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, what you call it, Justice Roberts or, you know, uh, Amy Comey Barrett or any of them, there is no accountability because you seem to manage to get away with everything. And that's why the Southern District, just like the DOJ, just like all like the Supreme Court, they're they are at their lowest approval rating because in all fairness, they have the power, they have the shield, and they feel they can do whatever the hell they want. And they're actually getting away with it, which is why I am glad that finally, thank goodness for, Judge, uh, for uh, Alvin Bragg, because a lot of people, myself included, we took a lot of shots at Alvin Bragg when he walked away from Mark Pomerantz and others. He dropped a 3,000-pound anvil of accountability right on Donald's lap. So I am ecstatic that accountability is there, though I hate to see what's happening in terms of the way it's affecting America and the office of the presidency. So that's really true. We still have vestiges of Trump, don't we? I, I, I totally agree that, you know, it's a, it's a whole different day and he is really uh, reeling and it's going to be worse. And on your other point, you know, it's true. I'll just, I'll just end if this isn't too uh, highfalutin with Oliver Wendell Holmes. Men have to turn square corners when dealing, people, I should say now, when dealing with the government. There's just a lot of ways that actually trying to get justice from the government, even lawfully, is really frustrating. Uh, Harry, let me thank you, as always, for joining me. I'm just sorry that we agreed on as much as we did. I, I promise agree. the next time I, that I'm, you come I'm back. I'm so surprised. We'll, we'll get it together next. There'll be more stuff. So much stuff is happening. We're sure to do Oh, so much. Guaranteed I will have you back. I look forward to it. I wish you a happy Passover and finishing, and be well, my friend. I will, I will definitely be seeing you soon. So look forward to it. Thanks, Michael. Thank you, pal. And now for today's mea culpa. Gun violence feels like it's reaching critical mass, especially when the governors of two states have lost friends during recent shooting rampages and have cried about it on national TV. There have been 146 mass shootings so far this year. I mean, friends, 146 mass shootings so far this year, meaning that there have been more mass shootings than days so far in 2023. Now, there have been protests. As yet, there are no solutions. But there are new problems. I mean, in a backlash to protests and newly passed gun safety laws, Gun right extremists across the country are declaring that state gun laws don't apply in their communities, calling themselves Second Amendment sanctuaries. I mean, some of these counties are going so far as to pass resolutions declaring that they will refuse to enforce gun laws by any means necessary. I mean, whatever the fuck that means, so-called Second Amendment sanctuaries are a coordinated effort supported by politically motivated national groups like, guess who? Yeah, the NRA, of course. And today, 60% of U.S. counties, that's about 1,200 counties in 42 states, have passed resolutions declaring themselves these Second Amendment sanctuaries. And this number is continuing to rise. While the reasoning for these resolutions varies, they are growing in rural and suburban areas alike. 
states with jurisdictions that have declared themselves the so-called Second Amendment sanctuaries include the top five states with the most amount of gun violence. I mean, I'm referring to Alaska, Mississippi, Wyoming, New Mexico, and Alabama. But there are also counties in blue states like California going along with it. Now, as I said, the NRA is pulling the strings behind the so-called Second Amendment sanctuaries. In New Mexico, for instance, a gun safety majority was voted into the state's legislature during the 2018 midterms. But when elected officials passed legislation to address their gun violence epidemic, the backlash was swift. 25 counties passed so-called Second Amendment sanctuary resolutions opposing the new laws. And there was the NRA closely coordinating with and influencing the New Mexico Sheriff's refusal to enforce gun safety legislation. I mean, this is so fucked up, it's scary. And that's how it goes in state after state. New laws are being passed, but unfortunately they can't be enforced. So if we can't get law enforcement to enforce the laws, let's go after the gun companies. I mean, let's make it more profitable for the gun manufacturers to implement change than to pay out these giant settlements. Gun safety activists say that the whole point of going after large monetary settlements is to lead to reform. So we go after the gun manufacturers. I mean, I'm saying, why not? They have no problem selling the guns that are killing us, so we should have no problem bankrupting them. And let's continue to protest, please. Let's just continue to organize and protest. Show up where you can, because it makes a real difference. So do me a favor, my friends. As you're doing this, stay safe out there. And I say that to everyone. And as always, thanks for listening. Mayor Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media, written by Jimmy Jelinek and Paula Killen. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth.